Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. Uh, we're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron. I'm lead pastor, and I'm so grateful that you are here with us today. We're in our identity series. Uh, this is our second week in it, and we're going to be talking about some pretty big things. Uh, we'll be talking about sexual identity. We're going to be talking about gender and roles and marriage and family and all kinds of those wonderful things that makes everybody really relaxed when you talk about. So we'll be talking about those. Uh, and so last week, we kind of set the, the very first foundation as to how we're going to have this conversation. And it begins with, uh, this is a conversation for the church. We'll be talking about, as Christians, uh, how do we apply these things? And so if you're not a believer yet, uh, we're so happy that you are here, that you're part of this. And uh, in fact, I hope that you would take this time as an opportunity to feel like you're kind of peering behind the curtain. Uh, what does it mean to be in Christ and what do Christians believe? And, and that is really annoying um, <laughs> and, and all of that. But if you are in Christ, we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us as a church, as, as, as believers in Jesus, how are we supposed to live? Now, last week we talked about who we are. Our identity really makes the big Obviously, how I live is going to be a, a totally different way. And so we discovered that the truest thing that can ever be said about me is what God says about me. I am who God says I am, and we are his children. Today, we're going to talk about the next portion of it. The other foundation of this conversation is morality. What is good? Right? We live in a moral world. Everybody, you go to any place in the world, and they're going to people there are going to have morals, right? They're going to have ethics, right? The, the people believe very deeply that what they do is right. In fact, uh, we found that even before uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the scripture says that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They thought that they were really moral people. And before the flood, before God you know, flooded the world with Noah, people were doing what was right in their own eyes. People are in, intrinsically, inherently moral, and we're going to talk about why that is today. But more important, it's not just to say, um, are we morally right? That's a, that's, a, that's a lousy question. Everybody thinks they're on the right. Most people have fights because they think they're right. But you have two opposing parties. We should stop asking, am I morally right? And we should need to start first by asking, are my morals right? And that's where we're going to begin today. This morning, we're going to talk about our standard, identify our standard as Christians. Now, before we get into it, of course, we have... Our memory verse for this series, which sets the foundation really the, uh, theologically for us, and that comes from Galatians 2.20. And so if you're new with us this morning, don't be worried about it. We're just going to say this verse a few times over and over again, and then pretty soon it starts to stick. If you're here every week, hopefully uh, you'll just be a reminder from what we covered last week. So here, go say it along with me, Three, two, one. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Isn't that amazing verse? That is the reality of our life in Christ. That when we came to faith, we died to the old self, right? And now we live a new life. I used to be uh, me, Aaron, and now I'm a child of God. And that changes not just my identity, but everything about me. What a wonderful thing. And we're going to talk about how that applies today in uh, the scriptures as it applies to morals. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. Now, I hope last week my challenge to you was to read 1 John. 
And for those of you who took the challenge, I hope you did this, so then you get a little context as to what's in there. If not, don't worry, we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the message to be able to come back and read this wonderful letter. Now, as you're turning to 1 John chapter 3, it's on page 856, if you're using one of our Bibles. Oh, by the way, if you forgot your Bible, don't worry about it. We've got lots of them by the sound booth. You can grab one, use it, and if you need a Bible, just keep it, our gift to you. Uh, as you turn to 1 John chapter 3, uh, just a little background, this is written by the Apostle John. This was later on in his ministry, and it was written uh, to the churches that he ministered, and particularly to Christians who were expelled from the synagogues. The early church, remember, came was uh, started in the synagogue, started as, uh, in, in the church there, and so what was happening is that uh, as the time went on, there became more and more of a division, and we had a lot of Christians, Jewish Christians, being expelled from the synagogues, and they were suffering for their faith. And uh, John writes this letter specifically to them, although it's, it's good for us as well. The purpose of the letter is to encourage and to keep, uh, to encourage the, the church to keep their faith, to not uh, back down in the midst of adversity, in the midst of suffering, but to, to keep their faith and to live out their faith boldly. And so this book has an amazing, uh, it talks about who we are in Christ, which is why I had you read it last week, but it also talks about how we live as Christians. And it's an amazing book. And so as you go through this, this, uh, this, uh, this book, I, I hope that you begin to find uh, the encouragement of Scripture, of who we are and how we ought to live. Now we're going to be in chapter 3. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we, will, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or, no, or to know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor anyone who does not love their brothers or sisters. What a powerful passage. That's not one you're going to hear preached very often because it makes us uncomfortable. But I'm going to show you some really great things that are in this passage from God's word for us. Three observations about morality that we see in this. So the first one that we discover from these passages is that God's children obey him. God's children obey him. If you're not God's child, you're not going to obey him, right? Just like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been at a restaurant and there's been an unruly kid out there. And, and you're like, if that was my kid, they'd be sitting at the table being nice, right? You, I talked to Thomas, he'll tell you, right? My son. But there's other child, and you could say, hey, kid, stop it. And they'll be like, I don't have to obey you, right? And they're right. What are you going to do? The thing is, is that if we're not God's children, we don't have to uh, listen to God's laws. 
right? We don't get to enjoy the benefit of being his children either. But once you're God's children, you're in his house, his rules. God's children obey him. And that's why we have to start with identity. That's why last week we had to begin there. And that's why John, the apostle, begins with that. He says, in ver- look at verses 1 and 2. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. We should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It begins with who we are. If we are in Christ, then family, including God's rules, which are actually pretty good. So let me explain what this means for us. Is what is morality and our ethics and all of that? Why is it that, that it would be good for us to obey God as his children? So let's start with this, that God is a moral God, right? He is, he's moral, and so there are things, and he made us in his image, and therefore we are moral people. And I'll show you why and what that means by that. See, God is the creator of all things, isn't he? God is the creator. He's the only one that's outside of creation. Of all things, he is the one who made it all. So God makes creation, and creation is separate from him, but it's a reflection of him in a way, right? And so the creation reflects the handiwork of God, reflects kind of who he is and, and all of that kind of stuff, but it's different. There. But, but God is the one who makes all things. People are not the creator. We didn't make ourselves, and we don't make anything else. Now, when God created, he didn't just create the world, although he did create natural creation, right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and then he goes all the six days, and we have all of this. And so God created all things, and everything that was part of the natural creation, and we can see it's the, like the stars, we have the planets, we have the animals, all of those are subject, then they're part of this natural creation. But God didn't just make a natural creation. See, God also made a spiritual creation, right? And so God made angels, he made demons, he has heaven, there's hell, there's all those other things, and they're part of the spiritual creation. And so we see that God is the creator of both, and humans are this weird weird amalgam, that we are a blend of both the spiritual and the physical, the only ones. It says in the beginning, God made man out of nature, out of the earth, and then what did he do? He breathed spirit and life into us. And so we are a a blend of both the natural creation and the spiritual creation, uniquely. Now, how does it affect us? Well, on the natural creation, there are laws of nature, aren't they? And God is the one who who made the laws of nature, right? Those are from him, like, like gravity, right? It's not just a good idea, it's the law, right? He made it part of his creation. God is the one who designed the natural laws. And therefore, all things that are part of creation are subject to those natural laws, And if you don't believe me, try to just go jump off a cliff and see how well that works for you. Laws of nature, they just apply. Whether or not you know about them, whether or not you agree with them, they still apply. And there's benefits for us when we work according to the laws of nature, and there's consequences when we try to violate the laws of nature. Isn't that true? Well, just as though all things in creation are subject to the laws of nature... All things in the spiritual creation are subject to the right, and morals exist because they're part of God's spiritual creation. Morals are not things that people make up. Morals are things that God has, the, the laws, the spiritual laws that God has set up to, to operate his spiritual creation. And the reason that people are subject to spiritual laws is because we are partly spirit. That's part of our nature. And the reason that people are subject to physical things is because we're, we're flesh, we're partly flesh. It's part of our nature. Now, how do we now recognize, how do we live within those spiritual laws? Well, there's a separation between us and God. God made those things, but he says, all right, we have to understand them. 
And so we're going to operate in this world according to our understanding of how God made creation. Okay, so we have this, this, uh, this area that we get to create. God made things, now we get to create our understanding. This is something that we get to design. And so when it deals with laws of, of nature or, of, or the creation, we have what's called scientific theory, right? And so in order to help us with that, it's what the sciences are all about. Science observes nature, it looks at what nature is, and it, and it tries to tell us what the laws of nature truly are. And the more accurate our scientific theory is, the more it represents or reflects or corresponds to true natural law, the better our science is, the more helpful it is. Right? And the sciences are really helpful at that, although the sciences sometimes get it wrong. I mean, think about throughout history, uh, even medical science. There was a time we thought about the four humors, and, and, and we would you know, bleed people, and we thought that their, their fluids were out of whack and stuff like that, and people died, right? But we thought that was science. Now, understand that science it's points us to uh, the laws of nature, and the more accurate our science is to the true laws of nature, the better it is for us, because the more we're able to live in harmony with the natural creation that God designed. Does it all make sense so far? Well, then, how about if, if we develop scientific theory, and it can be good or bad based upon how accurate it is, people also have the capacity to design our ethics. The ethics are our understanding of the spiritual laws. That's what, when we say there's moral laws out there, we build our ethics based upon those. And we have things like the church, and religion is, like science is for the natural world, religion is for the spiritual laws. And that's what it's there for, to help us try to understand what are the spiritual laws so that we can live accordingly, good and right lives that make sense. And just as there can be bad science, there can be bad religion, right? And there are religions all around the world that tell us different ethical things, that have different stuff that tell us this is how you're... Regardless of how sincerely those those ethics are held or believed, if they are not corresponding to the, the moral order that God has created, there's going to be bad consequences. And just as there's good science, there's also good religion. And, and religion that points us to the spiritual laws as God put them in place, the more accurate, the more it corresponds to the, the spiritual world that God has created, the better it's going to be for us. And so having good religion really matters. And that's why for us in Christ, we are excited by this because we're not blind, groping about, wondering what is good religion. God has given us senses to be able and ways to test our ethical theory. You see, all people, first thing he's given, just like he's given us the five senses to test the world around us, that's how science is based upon and observation and using our five senses. Do you know he's given us senses to sense the spiritual order? It's something, it's a sense called uh, our, uh, our conscience. You know, every human is born with that. It's a spiritual sense. It lets us know something is good or bad, right? And so in that conscience, there's lots of different senses in there. You have the sense of shame or guilt or, or justification or vindication, all those kinds of things that, that morally we begin to sense. That God gives us that so that way we can sense when we're on the right path or we're on the wrong path. That is so annoying. So... So what we have is uh, this ethical theory. We have our senses of, of conscience to help guide us. But the problem is, just like our human senses, sometimes they can go askew. And consciences can be bent, it can be burnt, it can be broken. And we found that the poison of Eden has poisoned our senses of conscience all this time. 
that it, it, it somehow uh, recalibrated it to the wrong thing. And so we can't always just trust conscience. That's why sometimes people do horrible things and they feel really good about it. And so conscience is good, but it, we need some help. And so God didn't just leave us with that. He's also given us several revelations, or, or he's opened up the, 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 uh, the curtain really behind it and said, this is, uh, so we could see the spiritual world, and he said, these are my laws. How did he do that? Well, the first thing he did is he's given us Scripture, inspired by God, saying, this is what is right and this is what is true. You have the law, the prophets, you have, you know, the, you have Scripture being written through the Holy Spirit telling us this is what God says is right and what is good which is fantastic. The second thing he's given us is he, God put on flesh. Right? Jesus came down with language that we would understand and applied and lived according to the spiritual laws perfectly so we could understand it. So we don't have to wonder, is God real and what is right and what is good? Jesus demonstrated it. And the third thing that God has given us on top of that is he's blessed us with his own Holy Spirit, the presence that indwells every Christian that's in us to help us to discern what is right, to convict us when we're wrong, to make sure that we live right and good lives. And so God has given us the ability, those of us who are God's children, have been blessed with an amazing thing that we can test our religion to see if it is good and it is right. And so we have this ethical certainty that we have a privilege of being able to live according to God's true spiritual laws. And there is a lot of really good benefits for that, isn't there? Now, to understand is that, that not only did God reveal all those things to us, but once he's revealed it to us, now as his children, we're responsible to follow those rules, aren't we? We're supposed to live according to those laws, and that's not a bad thing. Can you imagine how stupid it would be if people, like if scientists came before a bunch of students who were in his class and said, hey, guys, there's this thing, you know, called thermodynamics. And, and so I've got this, this pot of boiling water, and if you stick your hand in there, it's going to burn. So don't stick your hand in there, right? Because science. And all the kids were like, we don't like your science. We disagree. We're going to do whatever we want, and we're going to stick our hands in the boiling water and pour it all over each other. There would be a lot of suffering and pain, right? There would be a benefit to listening to the teacher, and he says, you know what? The, we don't want to waste energy, you know, pouring it over you and having it burn you and scald you. That's but we do the same thing all the time, though, morally. And God has revealed things to us. He says, hey, you know, there's these morals. There's, this, there's a way, a right way of living. There is righteousness, right? And if you violate this, there are spiritual laws of death, too. Like, do you want to stay away from those? And we're like, no, we don't want your laws. And we stick our hands in the boiling pot and wonder why we get burned. That God has revealed these things to us. And now he says, I don't always have to, you don't have to agree with me. You don't always have to understand exactly what he says. He said, this is the right way of doing it. And we do well to just follow and obey. And that's, it's good for us to follow and obey. And in time, oftentimes, then we gain an understanding. So the first thing we recognize from this chapter, this passage that we have in 1 John, is that God's children need to obey him. We need to trust that his morals, are his, the ethics we have... <laughs> are abiding by his moral law. We obey him. The second thing that we read or find in there is that God's children are called to moral purity. That's the standard. Right? And so let's look at verses 3 through 6 in there. It says, uh, 
all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away sins, and, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin, has either seen him or has known him. Now, I get this. I, I know that we're, this is a touchy topic because, yes, we are saved by grace. We really are saved by grace because we were impure, right? And still, as Christians, we still do sinful things, don't we? We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. But we are called to purity. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 talks about this. It says, for you are saved by grace. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so lest anybody say that I'm up here preaching legalism, let that never be the case. We are saved by grace. We're not here because any of us are good enough. No one's going to get to heaven and say, I deserve to be here more than you. Praise God for that. Right? This is where we begin. We are saved by grace. But look what the next verse is. Verse 10. It says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Scripture, every time you find grace, now you find application. We have been graced into purity, now we are to walk in purity. That's what we are called to do. That is, that is the standard. It's a good standard. And, and before we think this is all weird or bad or anything else like that, let me just reframe it for you. We understand the, the concept of purity when it comes to food, don't we? Like, if you go to a restaurant, like after church, you're going to go out, you're going to have a great breakfast, right? You're going to go out to a restaurant, and you go to that restaurant, and you see the, the chef go into the bathroom. You go to the restroom, too, and you see him go to the bathroom, and then you see him walk out without washing his hands. You're going to be grossed out, aren't you? Right? Because you're not going to let impure hands touch your pure food. Right? Or say, let's say you go to, to, to a burger place, and the guy's flipping burgers, right? He's flipping burgers, it's going to be delicious, and you see that juicy, wonderful, sizzly burger, all that, and he flips it too far, and it lands right on the floor. And he looks around, he doesn't see you looking at him, picks it up, dusts it off so you can't see anything, it looks pure, and he puts it on your bun, right, and then serves it to you. Are you going to eat it? No, impure, defiled. We get it when it comes to food. Right? We are so pure when it comes to food. We have people to make it for us. But spiritually, how often do we allow people to stick their hands in dog poop and just you know, serve us stuff all day long? You understand that moral purity is not bad. Moral purity is a great thing. The reason that we understand purity of food is because we recognize, we get it. If I eat food that's been picked up from the floor, I'm going to get sick. It may look fine. It may taste fine, but it will get me. It is the same thing with moral purity as well. When we ingest things from the world and put them into practice in our lives that, that look fine and smell fine, but we know that they aren't right, they're not pure, it's going to bring a sickness into our soul. It's going to make us miserable. God doesn't give us his laws because he likes to tell us what to do. God helps us. He shows us what the spiritual laws are because he wants us to live good and, and, and pleasing lives. Lives that are full of joy, not sickness and brokenness. Moral purity is it's an invitation that God gives us. And that's why it says that God's children, they, just can't, they can't continue living in this impure way of living, life. Now they have a heavenly father, an amazing parent of their soul who cares for them, who shows them a better way of living. 
It's like the parent who, who sees the kid drop all the stuff on the dirty floor, and it's like, no, 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 we're going to rinse that off before I give it back to you, right? We have a heavenly Father that helps us, shows us what is pure, and helps us to live to this. As Christians, we have weakened the gospel to the point of saying, you're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then just live a life. Anything that you do, it doesn't matter how sinful it is, just, just keep doing it. Right? This is kind of where we are. And in, in fact, any pastor that would dare challenge you to walk in moral purity is called a legalist. That's crazy. Now, we, we recognize that all God's children, it's in God's word, we are called to moral purity, and that is a great thing. Third thing that we find in this is now we're just called to it. We have to commit to moral purity. The call is there. The call is a great invitation, but we need to commit to it. There's something in us as God's children that have to say that I'm going to live this new life in Christ. Right? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So it's not about Aaron's way anymore. The life I live now live in the body, I live in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, by the way. That's how he demonstrated it. But I live a new life. I have a new moral compass. Now, does that undermine grace? Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Right? Should, should we just preach a gospel of only grace, but no, no moral purity, no different way of living? Right? Because God's more glorified. The more he forgives me, the more it shows how gracious he is. Should I go sinning that way? No, Paul says, by no means. You know the Greek word there is meganoita. That is the mega no. That is the biggest no possible. Paul's like screaming from the page, no! Some scriptures have, may it never be, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. But how many Christians believe, I've been saved by God's grace, I can never please God anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. Scripture says, by no means. If I adopted a child into my home that was, that was living in poverty, right, and I brought them into my family, should I say, well, should yet that child continue to live in poverty so it just shows how magnificent I am? By no means. Been saved from that. How can they live in that squalor any longer? That's why it says, by no means. We are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We die to those old dead ways. We're not eating hamburgers off the floor anymore, folks. God's serving up us some amazing things on a silver platter prepared by pure hands that lead to righteousness. See, we understand that the issue here in this passage is not, it's, it's, it's not perfection. The issue is commitment, isn't it? We're saved by God's grace. We're not perfect, but I have to be committed. That's what this passage in, chapter in, uh, in John is about, too. I'm not saying that Christians are always perfect. It just says that we're committed. We're committed to following God. We find here that, that as we follow God, he changes us, which is why I'm going to bring you to the application portion. This is how we begin to apply God's word in, into our lives. The first thing I think we need to do is we need to acknowledge God's morals. Right? I think that as Christians, the first thing that we recognize is God's rules. Now, the people that are, are not Christians, are not part of this, we don't we don't post God's rules for them and say you have to obey them. They don't have that privilege yet. They're not in his family. 
And so as Christians, we live in a society, a post-Christian culture, and the world out there has got a lot of really messed up standards. It's not our job to go out there and say, live according to God's rules. They've got bigger problems. What we have to do as Christians is first to just acknowledge that this is God's house, and these are his rules, and they're good, and they're wonderful, and acknowledge that his rules are going to be a little different than mine. If God always agrees with you, chances are you're lying to yourself. Right? Think about anybody who's ever been a parent. Has your child always thought you were right? I mean, of course not. But oftentimes as parents, you are right. You know what's good for them. And we ask our children to obey us even if they disagree. Because obedience is not agreement. Obedience is just doing what you're told because we trust the one who's telling us. They have the authority and we trust them. So we acknowledge God's morals. We say, you know what? He is the creator of morality. Humans don't make morals. We don't invent morals. We don't come to other councils, not a society that says this is what we believe is morally good. We can do that. That's our ethic. But we don't create morals any more than we create natural law. But we're all subject to them. So let's recognize the morals that God has put in place and has revealed to us. And let's recognize that God's morals, his standards are good. Because everything God created in creation, remember when he made it all? What did he say? It's very good. And that's not just the physical world. That was the spiritual world as well. His rules are very good. And they're good for all of us. And that's also then we recognize, if we're going to acknowledge his morals, let's acknowledge the morals that he gave us, the ones that he's revealed to us in his word and through his Holy Spirit. And let's say, you know, biblical morals are truly moral. Our biblical ethic, or how we see this, if we live our life according to this, it's actually spiritual order. What a gift. The second thing I think we need to do is not just acknowledge God's morals, but to accept his morals. To say, all right, you, your morals may be different than mine in some areas, and I'm going to tell you, in the next couple of weeks as we talk about gender, and as we talk about roles in marriage, and we talk about family and church and things, there are going to be some things and they're going to rub you the wrong way. There are going to be some things, just because we're human, we're going to disagree with God. But if we could start saying, when I disagree with God, one of the two of us is wrong, and I have my understanding, I have my, if I was a betting man, I'd bet on God, he being the right one, Okay? So, the thing that we have to do is then to accept his morals, even if we don't always agree with them. God is our Father. Look at how Jesus told us to pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the very beginning. Not our Father in heaven, you're awesome, may your name be kept holy. Uh, Your kingdom can come, but my will be done. But that's what most of us pray a lot of the times. That's how I pray a lot, unfortunately, when I, and then God gives me a little bit of like, hey, uh, my will's not the same as yours. Mine's a little better. But think about how often we do that. We need to start saying, God, no, your kingdom come, your will be done, because his will is the only one that is actually real, a good will. So I think we need to begin by accepting God's morals. We have to start with a self-evaluation. Evaluate your own ethic. If you go through this series and you're not challenged in one bit any way through it, I wonder if you're being honest with yourself. I know that when I was doing my study for this over the last year, I was challenged a lot. I had a lot of times I had to wrestle with God and said, that doesn't seem right to me, God. That doesn't seem fair, right? And I had to wrestle with them, but God, he wrestles and he wins and it's good. But I had to start with an evaluation. 
So if you feel conviction or you feel like something's just not right, that's okay. That's a sign that, that maybe that God is revealing something really good for you that's going to elevate your life in an amazing way. So start with that evaluation. And don't feel shame if you disagree with God. Just recognize that this is, there's, some, there's a change needed. And then I would say, as you evaluate, accept it. Now replace worldly ethics with godly ones. Uh, that, that was part of, of my voyage and journey through this. As, as I recognized there were things that God's word said very clearly that made me very uncomfortable, I had to start saying, God, you're right. I don't agree with you, but I know you're right. And I want you to change my heart on this, but I'm going to start living up to what you say. And I'm going to start agreeing with you on these things. God begins to replace, uh, or with I replace my worldly ethic with a biblical one, God begins to change my heart. It's an amazing thing. And a way that you can do that, some support to be able to replace worldly ethics or your ethic with a biblical one, is being part of a church. Being here. Where else are you going to hear this? You're not going to get this from the movies or the radio or from the people who live according to different law. You need to be part of a healthy church. Part of a life group is so important too. Uh, being around other Christians who, so you can wrestle with these things. So that church, you don't get a chance to talk a lot. I talk a lot. You don't get to talk a lot, Right? But in a life group, you get to know each other, and you get to wrestle with these things and be encouraged by other Christians and really get down. And you get, this is, that's an important part of a life group. Or how about in your quiet time? Just in your time, just between you and God as you're reading his word, as he challenges you, as, he, as, as his Holy Spirit comes and, and brings that wonderful conviction to say, hey, here's a place that I, I really want you to, to be cleaned up. And it's so important. It's why we need to meet with God regularly. So accept God's morals as he brings them to us. The third thing we need to do is apply God's morals, right? To not just know what they're right and to say, yeah, I agree that they're right. We actually have to live this new way. That's why the, you know, the chapter says that no one who, uh, who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues in him, has either seen him, no one continues in sin, has either seen him or known him. Right? We have to apply these things. It's one thing to say, I guess, yeah, God's rules are right. And I agree that they're right, but I'm going to keep doing it this way. Can you imagine if your kid did that? Parents, I know that you have these rules of the house, and I agree they're pretty good rules, but I'm not going to do it. There'd be trouble. We have to recognize and then begin to apply God's morals into our life. Begin to live our life anew, a new life in Christ, which means we have to repent of worldly beliefs. Repentance isn't just feeling bad for those things. It's saying, I'm just not going to live that way anymore. Why do I continue to, to eat out of the dumpster when God has prepared a beautiful table for me? Change how you live. And he's shown us how to do it. That's what following Christ is all about. Step by step by step, living a new life in him. And so we have to accept God's grace in this process because here's the thing, none of us in this room are pure. We're called to it. But none of us are living it perfectly, right? We all wrestle with sin still, which we need God's grace daily to be able to help us. But I think part of it, too, is let him transform us as we grow more and more and more into Christ's likeness. So accept his grace. Accept his help. Don't run from him. The craziest thing I've ever heard is people say, I don't feel good enough to go to church. Like, I, I'll go to church when I'm crazy. It's like I'm going to go to the dinner table when I feel more full. Let, let's be here and let's receive his grace and his help and let's all begin to change. The last part, I think we just have to have the commitment. Let's just obey God together. Can we do that? Say, together, this is not Aaron's rules, this is not your rules, this is not the church's rules. These are, these are God's moral standards that he has revealed to us. Can we live according to that? 
even when we don't agree, let's agree with him, and let's begin to live this better life. And then when we have that, if we can do those two things, recognize I am who God says I am, and good is what God says is good, then we can begin talking about gender. We can begin talking about marriage. We can begin talking about family. We can begin talking even about church. But if we don't have these two foundations, we're only going to get in fights. I think God's children, we have to start here. So let's begin with that. So for you this week, I've got some next steps that I'm going to challenge you to take to make sure that we have the right foundation to have a healthy conversation about some very important topics that are, that are a really big deal in our culture and our world today. And so for you, I'm going to invite you to take out your connection card. On the back side of your connection card, there are some next steps that I'm going to invite you to take. And these are, again, just following Jesus. Just, he says, follow me, this discipleship, just taking one more step closer to him. And here's some things that I'm going to challenge you to do to walk closer to him. And the first one is to memorize Galatians 2.20. The power of God's word to transform your heart is real. Take time to memorize it, to meditate on it, to begin to apply it. You know how awesome it is to remember that when, when I want to do my own things, when I disagree with God, I remember that I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. How that changes the conversation. It's not like, God, what have you done for me lately? Oh, yeah, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Yeah, okay. I'm fairly well loved. I live a new life. This, power, this is a powerful passage. It really gives us the courage and the ability, the right mental framework to live this new life in him. So if you haven't done so yet, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you. Take time this weekend to memorize uh, Galatians 2.20. And to help you with that, we have this memory verse card. It's perforated. It's on the end of your connection card. Just peel that off and, and take it with you. Put it in your pocket, your wallet. Tape it to the back of your phone. Spend time with God's word. The second thing I'm going to encourage you to do, and you'll say this is very similar to last week. Yes, read 1 John. If you read it last week, you read it for the purpose of saying, who am I? This week, read about it saying, now, how do I live? If you didn't take a chance last week to, to go and to read 1 John, I'm going to encourage you, read 1 John. It's not long, but it is powerful. Take some time this week to read that incredible letter. Or maybe what you need to do is repent. As I say, I know that there are things that God says is right, the Bible says is right, and I disagree with. Stop disobeying God and, and suffering those horrible consequences in your life and for a new life, which is what repentance is, and to say, I may not totally understand what God says or why, but I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. Maybe he knows better than me. Maybe what you need to do is to join a life group. And say, you know what, it's not just enough being in the church, but I need to get connected in the church, to have other believers as we connect with, to be able to grow in, to be able to, to help each other as we live this new life together. Our life groups are forming right now, so I'm just barely beginning. If you would like to be part of one, I would love to help you connect. In fact, I've got a new one that's going to be starting up on Sunday evenings, if that's an interest for any of you guys. Uh, let me know. Put, uh, mark that down. And if there's any other commitments you make, write that down. And in just a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, please take this connection card along with your tithes and your gifts, your fifth Sunday gifts as well. Drop that into the offering basket as it is passed. All right, let's pray for our offering and for our commitments, and then we'll have the worship team uh, lead us out with some great worship music. Let's pray. Father God, we are just uh, so unbelievably blessed to be able to call you our Heavenly Father. <laughs> we were so disobedient. We were, uh, we were your creation, and we rebelled, and, uh, and we weren't even looking for you. We were your enemies, and, and when we were trying to replace you, you came for us. And, and you put on flesh, and you walked amongst us, and, and then you did the unbelievable as you even died for our sins. Father, thank you.
Lord, I ask that uh, you're going to continue that good work of salvation in amongst us. Those are here today. Lord, I, I pray once again that reminder of what it means that we are truly yours. Help us to live as your children, good and obedient and pleasing. Father, we've made commitments today. Help us to, to apply these to our lives in a way that leads to righteous living, that leads to healthy spirits. And Father God, I pray too that you would take the tithes and the offerings and the, the, the gifts that we bring to you as a symbol of our worship, centering our world around you. And I ask that you would take those and bless them and multiply them and use them to build your kingdom for your righteousness and your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.